produced by Ranting Rhino Productions, Praxis Pedagogy exists to position our teaching and learning practice within different methodologies. We want to construct a guild of educators dedicated to designing a difference in our own teaching and learning and in our students' experience. Hey everybody, welcome back to episode 73 of Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. I didn't just bring back one guest for this episode, I brought back two guests. That's right, Christy Boyce. You heard her on episode 42. Now, Christy has been working in healthcare in BC since around 2001. She's now working as a virtual health learning consultant. She's passionate about change management, user experience, co-design, co-creation. She did her master's degree at Royal Roads University in the Malat program. That's the Master of Arts in Learning and Technology. And along with Christy Boyce, brought back Brandon Carson. What a great last name. Brandon Carson, you would remember him back in episode 62. Now, Brandon is a professor and learning technology specialist at Durham College. He promotes the use of open education resources and open open educational practices. He also teaches at Fanshawe College, both in Ontario. He's worked at eCampus Ontario, so you know that he's gonna be great. And have I mentioned that they did their master's degree at Royal Roads University, my alma mater? in learning and technology. You're going to love this episode. We go all over the place and it's a good thing because we all tie it up at the end. Brendan does a really good job of tying it all up in the end. Uh, we all have different experiences and isn't it great that it all comes back together. Sit back, relax, enjoy. Thanks for taking the time to listen to the episode today. I really appreciate it. I appreciate the time that you invest in listening to the episodes of this podcast. If you have any comments, questions, concerns, maybe even a complaint, feel free to reach out to me through the website, praxispedagogy.com email me. Let me know what's going on. We'd love to hear from you. Otherwise, take care. We'll see you on the other side. There we go. It's always in progress. (laughs) All right, here we go. Three, two, one. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Praxis Pedagogy Podcast. So glad you've taken the time to listen in to this episode, a fantastic episode. We have got some returning guests with us today, and maybe we'll have a surprise guest come in a little later. We don't, we're not sure. Maybe that'll happen. Crossing my fingers. But this morning, this afternoon, this evening, whatever time you're listening to us, uh, we have Christy Boyce and Brandon Carson. So uh, Christy, Brandy, say hi and tell us what you're doing right now. Hello. Good morning. Uh, I'll go first because Brandon knows I love to go first. (laughs) Um, Yeah, my current role is uh, I'm still with Fraser Health and that's the the largest health authority here in British Columbia. Um, Really widespread of so many communities and 12 acute care hospitals. I think we're at 33,000 plus employees. And uh, my role in the thick of COVID emerged to become the virtual health learning consultant. So um, kind of a role that I helped build and design and then luckily interviewed for. And they thought, hey, she's a good fit. Um, So, yeah, um, a lot of my projects center around um, setting up really good system structures for healthcare providers to be able to practice virtually with their patients, whether they're just doing assessments and consultations um, via Zoom or via MS Teams, or whether they're teaching uh, large patient groups, like, for example, diabetes self-management classes to 20 or so patients, um, because those are not skills that they had at all. So supporting them on their journey is really key. And my background was clinical. 
Um, I was a critical care respiratory therapist for 18 years. So that really helps me understand where they're coming from and the struggles that they're facing. I bet you haven't been busy in the last year and a half. Oh, mercy. Maybe we'll circle, circle back to that and get your Kleenex. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Brandon, how's it going, buddy? It is going great. Um, so Brandon Carson and my full-time job at Durham College is a learning technology specialist, which has been quite busy over the pandemic with supporting faculty and how to use educational technology for their teaching and learning purposes. And uh, the pandemic also opened up a lot of part-time opportunities for me. So at Durham College, I've been teaching part-time as well as doing course development. At Fanshawe College, I've been teaching part-time and doing course development. At Ontario Tech University, I have been uh, involved in their EI lab out of their faculty of education and also being a manager of e-learning development for one of the eCampus Ontario uh, VLS funded projects. Um, I think there was $50 million given up through eCampus Ontario for digital teaching uh, and digital support projects. I'm sorry, did you say 50 million, five zero? Five zero. Yeah. Big investment. You're that a lot of really campus. cool projects that are going to be brought out through, uh, through the next year. No kidding. That, congratulations. That's a, that's a huge investment in the system, right? Yeah. Uh, the one that, project I'm working on with e, or sorry, with uh, Ontario tech is it was a joint project between Trent university, Durham college and Ontario tech, where their three business deans noticed that there's not a lot of support for people coming from faculty roles into admin roles or support staff into admin roles. So it's called the introduction to higher education management. And uh, the best way it can be explained, uh, Michael, who's the business dean at Ontario Tech said, imagine a chemistry professor who is an absolute genius in their field being asked to now become admin and they have no background in that. This course should help them um, learn all the main things that someone in admin would need to know working in higher education at an intro level. Well, wow, that's cool. That's very cool. That's, yeah, that's very cool. Sounds like nursing, right? You're an expert in your field and then voila, let's go lead the unit. Good luck. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I was just thinking the same thing, Chrissy. It's like, huh, it's like being a plumber out in the field and then getting hired to teach in a classroom and they give you a bunch of books and a, you know, 16 little brains sitting down and they're all looking at you. And you're like, okay, so first day, how are we doing? <laughs> Oh man, that's good. That's good. So, um, both of you are also grads of the Malat program out at Royal Roads University. So we'll give them a shout out and, uh, tell them about their awesome program. And of course, uh, the previous, uh, podcast, you, you may have listened to everybody that, uh, the Edward Logan is signed up for the same program. And, uh, so tell us a little few highlights about that program and maybe a word of advice for Ed as he gets ready to suit up and head into the, uh, the unknown of master's worlds. Mm, yeah. Get ready to absorb and just grow massively. I think that was, that was my experience. I had, I had heard of a, another respiratory therapist who took the Malat. I love how you say it. Malat. I always say Malat. It's like a um, wine. Same here, Christy. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a wine. It's like wine. Yeah. yeah. And she had such a great experience. It was, um, you know, probably eight years prior, but I knew situated, um, you know, having 18 years of clinical practice, I wanted to move into corporate and I knew that technology was 
going to be on the forefront. And I just loved teaching from the moment I graduated, whatever role I was in. It seemed like a good fit. And I just was thrilled. I got there. We, Brandon and I did the residency um, component. We did that track. And so I remember sitting, there's only seven of us. We called ourselves the lucky seven. And um, we would later blend in with another, how many, 20 plus people, right? In the full cohort. But I remember sitting there going, I am the only person here in healthcare. What am I doing here yeah. the first day? And how is this going to be relevant to me? Because everyone seemed to have an, you know, either post-secondary or some sort of education based background. And I just, you know, settled in and listened and, oh, it was incredible. Like the learning that I could apply from other people's contexts into my own was just phenomenal. The, you know, the instructors, the faculty, the program lead, um, Elizabeth Childs is just incredible Mm -hmm. and such a wonderful guide to the learning. So, um, yeah, I think I just shot out of there and rocketed and just started spewing content at people and, you know, ideas and just applying it in practice immediately, luckily in my role. Um, so yeah, grateful, massively incredible experience for me. Can't wait to go back actually. Brandon, you got to love the way nurses use language, right? We just shot out of there and started spewing all over the place. You're like, Oh, mercy. Okay. That's a visual for you, Tim. Exactly. I can say with doing group work with Christy, her writing, she does not talk like that at all. Very yeah. professional yeah. in the writing. <laughs> um, if I see give any advice to Ed, it's just uh, enjoy every step of the journey. The one thing I found with railroads is they have so many support systems in place. So I remember listening to the podcast from Ed yesterday. And that was one of the things uh, he did mention that he's coming in a unique situation. That's one of the things that railroads offers. You don't have to go your traditional ladder of getting a diploma and then getting a degree and then working into your master's Royal roads looks at your, your life experience. And that was the one thing I loved about Royal roads is they had all those supports in place. So if you may not be the best person at writing a paper, they have a writing room available where they'll support you with your writing um, and teach you to become a better writer. If you can't go to live sessions or be on campus, uh, there's a lot of resources on their website that can also support you. And same within the program, the, the faculty team, your peers. It's just such a neat experience to be able to learn with everybody. So I learned more, I think, from my peers than I necessarily did from uh, from the faculty there, just because we had so many people in so many different contexts working in teaching and learning centers, healthcare, you name it, um, military background. So it was really neat just to get all those different contexts and see how you can apply them to what you're doing in your work as well. Um, one other part I found so interesting about being at Royal Roads, just to show how good the Mallet program is, I was the cohort rep for the program, and there wasn't a lot of comments from students of things that they wanted to see changed in the program um, throughout each semester. It was really students were happy; they loved the program, um, they loved the faculty in it. So it's uh, it's about to hit on a great two-year journey here. Come next April. That's great. Mm. That's great. What was what was your first day like? Like when you, when you first logged in and first saw everybody's face virtually, like, what was that like for you both? It, it, we did residency. Mm-hmm. So the first time okay. we connected and saw people, it was in person in this okay. beautiful boardroom. You're looking mm-hmm. at the beautiful castle that you see in X-Men. I was able to tell my kids, um, <laughs> they, they liked watching the movie, the descendants and that yeah. same castle is, uh, is there. So to be able yeah. to say, Oh, I was at that castle. I got some big brownie points with the kids at that point. Nice. I was in a unique situation where we just had our, 
I don't want to get this wrong. This was the third child. So we had our third child, maybe a week, maybe two weeks before uh, I flew out to BC. So my wife was being left with uh, two kids and a baby at that point. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah. So it, it was interesting, but it was awesome walking into the, the boardroom. You're seeing all these people, you're connecting with them. Um, Christy scared me a little bit at first, but uh, <laughs> We became best Likewise. friends afterwards. Brandon showed up in like a full suit, I think, the first day. Was that the first full day that you were in like a... Oh, you every, were just dressed day. up. Every day he was in a full suit. So I was always scared by Brandon until we got to know each other. Uh-huh. <laughs> nice. Nice. Chrissy, what was your first day like? Yeah, it was... I, um, I actually went to UVic for a year way back. Um, way, way, way back in the 90s. Um, and so it was nice to come back over to the island to go to mm. school. And again, residency, beautiful campus just gorgeous ocean, um, Hatley castle. The view was great. Um, but super nervous, right? I actually, as a respiratory therapist, it's a diploma program. So I actually didn't do my bachelor's until probably about 14 years after I began practicing and finished my diploma as a respiratory therapist. So I just didn't see the need. I was learning so much on the job. Um, I had, uh, a year of working as an anesthesiology assistant at BC Children's Hospital. And that was all at that time, no extra certification. It was just practice, like mm. you know, on the job training. Um, and I was moving around into different positions as, um, you know, supervisory education. I didn't really see a need to go back and, and do it. And I thought, oh, these courses in my bachelor's are going to be, you know, just get through them. They're not going to be helpful content. So um, I had only just completed an, an online um, bachelor's in allied health sciences, probably about two years prior. Right. Um, so for me, you know, being an adult learner and in this space where I'm doing my master's, I was honestly, I was a bit overwhelmed and thought, Oh my God, can I do this? Um, but incredible staff, great welcome. And, and like Brandon said, a lot of great resources, like we were offered, um, executive coaching for, you know, how to work together as a team through the process, through that two weeks as well. Um, so that when we worked as small groups, when we paired off into small groups, we had some skills to lean on how to problem solve and, and work together and collaborate. And then they would continue to ask, you know, how did that go? Did anything come up? And things did, right? Mm-hmm. Little rubs as an adult. Um, you've got lots of history. You've got lots of stuff in yeah. your, you know, your background that can really affect how you work with other people and a bit of ego there that you're working around. And so that was incredibly helpful to have the coaching. Space bar mm-hmm. twice versus once after a period. <laughs> we always disagree on something. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh yeah. I remember my first day walking in there. Cause like, um, in our program we did, I think we did a month, month, a month of online stuff and you're interacting and off and on, you know, off you go and everyone's got their pictures and stuff. And then you actually go to residency and, and yeah, you walk in there and how big was your cohort? Our residency group. Uh, was seven, very tiny. Seven. Then, yeah. And then we blended in um, to the rest of the cohort. I think there was 20, I want to say like 23 others that we blended yeah. into. Okay. Yeah. Our, our cohort was 53. Yeah. Wow. It was insane. It was insane. And like you, Christy, <clears throat> I think there was one other tradesperson in the room with me. And so I'm looking around going, okay going to be flying solo for a long time here, I think. Right. And so we, we, it was funny cause we, 
it's almost like our spider sense was tingling because he was on the other side of the room and it was like we we saw each other and, and he kind of made a beeline for the center of the room so did i we're like okay so what's your background and we're like okay are we the only two here <laughs> so uh yeah but it was good it was really good really good and then so you go through the two years you graduate uh obviously it's made an impact in your life not just professionally but personally because i mean that they have that that awesome tagline is it's life changing right and um yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it was. It was. Yeah. It's funny. I'm listening to you. I'm, I've been sort of um, entrenched in uh, teaching people how to build social presence. And so I'm listening to you describe these in-person experiences and I'm thinking, okay, how do I parallel that to an online meeting? How do we do that in Zoom? How do we create those small groups where you can find the other person in trades and, you know, those yeah. connection activities that you do in the beginning? Sorry. So it's a little tangent there, but it's funny how like who's meeting in person right now, you know, not we're slowly transitioning at Fraser health to, for the corporate groups to go, okay, one day a week, we're going to start with one day a week back in Mm -hmm. office. And it's Mm going to be really weird. It already is weird because no one's there. Mm -hmm. It's empty. It's like this massive empty space. And yeah. Yeah. So um, building those online connection activities is kind of key right now for me, teaching people how to do that as uh, you know, facilitators. Mm. It's interesting you say that because um, I went downtown Vancouver to the downtown office uh, for the first time in a year and a half. <laughs> I took transit and, uh, and I'm like, I'm, I'm like one of three, four people in the, in the bus on this major portion of the leg, get on the sky train and it's almost empty and where it would normally be packed, right? It'd just be standing room only get downtown. It's like a ghost town. There's like very, and I mean, it's summer too, right? So you're thinking, okay, mm-hmm. then summer people are away, get into the office. I'm the only one in the office. And it's like, this is, I felt like I was in the movie legend, right? Yeah, yeah. Where it's just, I kept expecting something around the corner and yeah, it was, it was insane. It was insane. Brandon, have you felt that same thing too? Um, people coming back to school and, and seeing each other for probably the first time in over a year. So I had my first day two days ago. Mm-hmm. Tuesday was my first day back in the office and we are, um, we're an e-learning team of six. So what we're doing is it's two in the office at a time. One thing that kind of caught me off guard was uh, I didn't really, I didn't see any faculty all day. Um, we have to wear masks the whole time. So doing support calls while wearing a mask, it, to me, it just, I found that our job, we've shown that we can do it remotely and do it remotely extremely well. Mm -hmm. Uh, versus being in person. When you're in person, you get those phone calls. I can't see the screen to support the faculty member where when we're doing it remotely and we're always using teams and screen sharing, I just found that the level of support um, has improved in quality as well in quantity because we're, I'm finding our part-time faculty who normally didn't have time to come and see us before are finding time at work to come and do a a team's call with us Hmm. and, and getting the support they need with their teaching. So being on campus was weird. I'm hoping that eventually it keeps getting better and better. But, uh, yeah, first experience back was definitely odd, uh, very quiet. Didn't see mm-hmm. a lot of people. Um, and I've enjoyed working from home. I I've, I've really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Who hasn't enjoyed working from home? I love the commute, especially in night school, right? <laughs> like you just finish your supper and my, my 30 second commute to my office and sit down and get going. And then my commute home, like, and I'm, I'm yeah, my, my class was, face-to-face was a three-hour class, right? 
And so by the time you throw in commutes, it's a five hour commitment, right? Wow. So an hour each way for you. Well, 40 minutes. And then by the time you park and get in and, you know, and settle, it's an hour, right? And I'm lucky. Uh, I'm a nine minute walk across the street, like some door to see oh. like nine minutes tops. And when I'm teaching, it's usually like five minutes. Um, oh, like I can man. see the college from, from my living room. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's great. Yeah. I think that's been, you know, the biggest for us in healthcare. And we're always looking at what are the benefits of virtual because there, you know, there's some downsides, right? You sure. can't do a hands-on assessment. So you have to really judge, you know, who can we do this with um, mm-hmm. and who can we not? And at what point in the care journey do we really need to flip to see them, right? Mm-hmm. You, do, you don't want people in a renal outpatient clinic getting to the point that next week they're having a transplant and you haven't actually put your hands on them or actually met them in person. That's a problem, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, we are finding some clinics in that position where oh, we were mm-hmm. doing virtual for so long that we realized, oh my gosh, this person's at a point in their care journey where you really should have seen them in person by now. Wow. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a good point that one of the biggest benefits for us, of course, is the patients not wanting to pay for parking and travel, right? Yeah. Like two or three hours of travel um, is not a huge deal if it's just yourself, but if it's winter, if, um, you know, you're in your seventies or eighties and driving in the winter is scary. If you have uh, a child mm-hmm. who is on oxygen, driving three hours is a big, big deal. Like, oh, do yeah. I have enough power for my concentrator? Do I have enough tanks? It's a, you know, so if you can do a visit, that travel piece has actually been really key, um, for demonstrating the benefits. And, and we, we do constantly have to highlight those for clinicians who are mm-hmm less on the pro adoption side. Um, I would say on the whole, the patients are more receptive of virtual care than, than our providers because so much has changed for them that they don't feel in control of. And then in the middle of a pandemic being asked to suddenly have zoom skills, right. Is, Mm -hmm. is challenging. Just like in education, of course, transitioning, you're teaching online. Yeah. Guy throws a camera up in the classroom and just expects his students to stay online for six hours as he's just going and going and going. And yeah, yeah. I'm not sure that's going to work. And yeah, uh, and, and it's it's true. People don't always think that way. Um, I'm working. One of my key projects right now is with a diabetes self-management class. So this is a patient mm-hmm. class. It's usually taught in person three hours long. And and then they urgently transition to telephone calls. And then they decided, well, we're going to take those three hour classes and just move the content to Zoom. So when I came in to assess and, and have a look at what they were doing, they were content delivery for three straight hours with, I don't even know if they were taking a break. I think they might've been taking a break, but the one I, I was asked to assess, I think one of the patients left, got his child from school, came back, continued it. I yeah. just, oh gosh. Okay. So we restructured the learning objectives. We revamped all of the activities so that they were, you know, more like annotation and discussion and breakout rooms and with shorten them into hour and a half classes and five of them instead of three, three hour classes. So we've adjusted that content, but so many new skills involved in that and such a learning curve. Uh, so we're going to try piloting that at two hospitals and then potentially scale that out to the other eight. Uh, so we'll see how it goes, but that that's kind of what um, we're finding. Everybody needs help. With. We have about 300 outpatient clinics and I'm just working with sort of the one diabetes cohort right now. So we've still yeah. got renal and um, neuro and cardiac and one of me <laughs> as the learning designer and, you know, the person project managing. And, and so one of me helping them. So it's taken us almost a year to do that one piece. So oh really interesting. 
doesn't sound too far off from a university though. Does it Brandon? One learning, no. one learning specialist for, <laughs> you know, 50 people or a hundred people. Yeah, yeah exactly. So uh, Brandon, how, how is your, how has your degree helped you in your online um, teaching and education? Not even just uh, as much the degree, but also the learning experience of seeing how our faculty has taught us um, really impacted how my approach to being an online uh, faculty member, whether it be what I took at Ontario Tech or Royal Roads or even Athabasca afterwards, seeing all the different approaches those faculty members used when teaching us, whether it be asynchronously, synchronously, or a mix of both, seeing all those approaches really helped um, shape me as an online professor. The, uh, the Going to railroads though, and, and finishing with the Mallet program, having that sheet of paper also opened up so many doors when it came to applying to positions, because a lot are looking for you to have a master's level education when it comes to teaching right. um, or managing. So I'd say that was one of the biggest aspects of doing this. The learning was amazing, but also the amount of doors that just opened up by showing I am a Mallet graduate mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. at several different institutions. And then building community as well has been absolutely fantastic. So through doing the master of arts and learning and technology, um, I was able to meet David Porter, for example, at that, uh, during our residency mm -hmm. and hearing a little bit more about eCampus Ontario. I, I'd already heard a little before, but hearing even more about it had me excited to see, oh, is there a possibility to ever work there in the future? Um, and from hearing about eCampus Ontario there, a job opportunity opened up in the future that I applied for, and I was able to work there for over a year. Yeah, and you know what, how great of a feeling it is to work at a provincial level, the impact that you can make, you're doing that over at BC campus. And it was amazing to do that in the Ontario, um, higher ed system as well. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Yeah. I was so good. I stayed. It's like that guy who with the razor company, right? I love the company so much. <laughs> I bought it. But... <laughs> no, for sure. Hey, Brennan, as, as we're transitioning into, um, this next phase of, of education and some are going back to face-to-face, -face. some are staying online, some are doing blended. What, where do you find yourself settling into and, and really getting excited about? I love hybrid. I love getting the in-person aspect to do a lot more of the doing mm. and then the more theory-based uh, approach happening in the online environment. Mm -hmm. um, high flex or flexible delivery isn't something that I can get behind yet. I want to see more data about it. To me, in in my mind, I just think it's going to be a watered down approach to education because I don't see how you can give both audiences, those who are online at the same time as you're trying to teach these students in person. I don't see how they can get the, the true attention that they deserve as students. Mm. But with my delivery, uh, I've been teaching hybrid even before the pandemic started with a right. classroom approach. So they learn the theory before attending class. We review a couple of the high level topics, the important aspects of what was in the online material. And then we start doing more of the doing because I teach a lot of uh, computer applications, web development. Right. Um, and I found that that was really interesting to try and teach online because normally in person, it works quite well where I have a large screen at the front. The students can watch what I'm doing. Um, I can go at a slower pace so that they can keep up and follow along. But if you do that online and the students don't have two monitors, it is really hard to do. So I did a lot of my learning asynchronously for online over the last year. Okay. Um, at first, a lot of students have been hesitant. Week one, I'm really big on co-creating the learning uh, space. So it's just not me saying, hey, this is how the rest of the semester is gonna go. Mm -hmm. I like to do that with the students. And I let them know that in the past, this asynchronous approach has worked quite well 
when learning web development, learning these specific computer applications, they're a little hesitant at the beginning, but by week three, they're like, yes, this is definitely the way uh, we should be learning this material. Right. And I based it on how I learned some of this new material. So as changes happen in web development or with different computer applications, I use tools like LinkedIn learning mm -hmm. to learn this. So seeing the approach that they take in those with uh, bite-sized learning videos, followed by short assessments, um, I've taken the same type of approach in my online learning as a faculty member. What's the student feedback on that? Been, been good? Very good. Yes. Um, they like the flexibility. So they enjoy being able, if they can't make the class, they can go back, watch a lot of these videos. Um, and then for the in-class portion, it's usually more me again, highlighting those high level things. I really want to make sure that they take home and the answering any questions that they may have. So during the pandemic, that's what the online portion has really been about going over key concepts and, um, demoing anything they have questions about. But a lot of that same material is already available in mm -hmm. the, uh, in the weekly lessons that have been created. And then when we have our sessions, when we have our zoom meetings, I set it up. So the first section of class, uh, the recording is not turned on so they can feel comfortable asking any questions that they want to off recording. We do our session, which is recorded. And then it ends with another non-recorded, uh, session so that if they again, have any questions that they want to ask, they're able to do so. And then of course that recording is available to them when you're done. Right. So then you, you upload it to the LMS and they have access to it throughout the whole course period. Exactly. And uh, one thing I love about Fanshawe um, with doing my teaching there is they've actually made it. So their zoom lessons are sorry, their zoom recordings. There doesn't seem to be an expiry date on them. In some cases, institutions are putting like a two week expiry date on videos or the Fanshawe, those videos that are recorded to the cloud are still available um, from the fall 2020 semester. So they've invested in their IT architecture to really be able to support both the faculty members and the students. How does faculty feel about that, that those uh, lessons are still online and essentially canned for however long they're accessible for? The faculty are able to go in and remove videos if they wanted to. So they're able to go in and, and take anything down that they want. They can choose how long they want it to be available for. Uh, that's interesting because I know there's been some pushback here in BC, especially in the trades that people have felt like, well, if I can my lesson and put it online, then, and it's going to be there forever, then eventually that's going to take my job. And I think that's a short-sighted, um, narrow view of the whole system. However, I think there's some truth to that in the sense that once we've captured it, as long as the content doesn't change, yeah, it's there forever and you never have to do it again, essentially. Um, so there is some truth to that. It's interesting. Before I come to you, Christy, I just want to ask one more question about Brandon, about the Hyflex, because Hyflex is a, it's a, it's that shiny spoon in the drawer right now. Right. And we're, we're, we're coming off this, this, this thing that we've been going through and people have found out that they can really teach online really well. Uh, surprise, surprise. Um, so tell me a little bit more, Brandon, about, about the Hyflex and what, what do you mean by the data? Cause I'm, what is it about the, the, the dual audience that you're not quite sure about? I'm just not sure how you can support both audiences at the exact same time. If you have yeah. students who are in an online setting, um, asking you questions, but you have seven hands up in the physical classroom and you're having mm -hmm. to go around to talk to them, are you able to do that? Well, um, if questions are being asked in person, can those that are, if those that are online, are they able to hear the questions? So I really think you have to have a room set up very well to do this properly. You need the type of person who's able to manage the technology 
and the in-person support at the same time. In some cases, it's just the faculty member. Don't get me wrong. Some institutions are providing uh, additional support. So there's like an assistant in the classroom helping. But if it's just one faculty member trying to manage all this at once, I just don't see how the students can get the same level of support that they'd be able to receive if it was a single delivery method of being online or face-to-face. One thing I really like about um, Fanshawe's approach is rather than doing things uh, using HyFlex, what they've ended up doing is in their, their business program anyways, they have it so the student can select the delivery method they'd like. So you either are going to be an online student or you are going to be an in-person student or with a HyFlex option, it can change week to week. A student can choose to stay home one week, go in the next. So again, I'm just, I want to see research on this to show how well it actually works. And that's one thing that I haven't had the opportunity to read in detail yet. I want to know, is the student experience going to be as, as enjoyable in this case? Are they going to be able to learn as well in this type of environment? Because I, from a faculty perspective, I just feel like you're being pulled everywhere, trying to be everything at once. And when you're being pulled all those ways, I feel like the learning is going to be diluted at that point. I could be very wrong, but that's just my initial thought on it. Yeah, and what's your thought, Tim? Yeah, you know, that's those are good points. And as you're as you're laying that out there, I'm thinking to myself, so is it more of a facilitation issue than a delivery issue? Um, because, and I'm just thinking of, context where I've had, you know, 60 students in a room, right. Where I've been in a lecture theater and, and that's, there, there's a different dynamic and a different facilitation technique that I use than when I'm in a classroom of 16, it's just, it's just different. Um, and I, and I wonder, I wonder, I wonder too about the question of, of students falling through the cracks again, right. With large classes, as opposed to smaller classes, uh, the personal touch versus, you know, the digital touch. So I, like you, I'm, I'm, I'm a little unsure, but I'm, I'm kind of excited about the high flex option primarily from a flexibility issue. Right. And so, uh, one thing that I've, I've learned in my experience teaching through this situation has been students really love the flexibility and I need to let go of control. Right. And so having, having, you know, if, if I've, if I had a class of 32 students and 16 chose to come online and interact online with me during the class period, that's great. Knowing that the other, the rest that didn't have access to the recording. Now what they miss is that interaction that happens. What they miss is the question and answer period. Cause like you, I would probably put a Q and a at the beginning, at the end, unrecorded, unscripted. <clears throat> and, and that was good. Um, yeah. So I, for me, I'm excited about the, the, the blending of the two technologies just for the flexibility piece of it. And you're, I think you're right. There's, there's going to be, there's going to be a big draw on, on your brain when you're doing it, because you're, you're having to flip from a screen now to actual people in a room back to a screen and, and just facilitating the tech. I think setting it up is going to be just a nightmare too at first, right. Where you got to have multiple cameras and, you know, whether you have a smart board or whatever, you're just going to have all these things floating around. But one thing I have learned is we're pretty adaptive. <laughs> so it, it may feel like I've been thrown into the deep end of the pool at first uh, and got a lot of stuff to learn. I think, I think we can adapt to it, but I'm not sure. And I think this goes to what you're saying, not sure what the end product's going to do or what the end product's going to exactly. look like. Pardon me. Um, 
because we have been hearing statements from industry uh, in regards to apprentices going through their technical training in the quote unquote COVID era. Uh, and, and I'll be very careful how I say this. There's, there's, there's a little bit of well, fear is probably too strong of a word, but there's some concern that apprentices going through technical training in the COVID era aren't getting the same level of training that they would have before the COVID era. And like, I'm not sure if that's entirely accurate. I'm not sure if that's a fair perspective because there's just too many variables there. Um, Cause quite honestly, I've had students in my classroom and it didn't matter if it was online or face to face, right. They're just, yeah, you're not going to make it buddy. <laughs> right. And so let's, let's figure something else out as to what we can do to help you. But um, yeah, so I'm, 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 I'm really excited about what, what it can do and the flexibility, but like you, I'm, I'm curious to know what the end product's going to look like. Yeah, I think that if you're going to be taking this approach, you have to invest in it. You have to provide the supports that are required. So if you're not giving faculty teaching assistance and as an example, or IT support during these sessions to support them, I don't think that you've, you've invested the people power needed to make a good product in the end. If it's just one faculty member trying to manage all this at once, it's, I think it's going to be difficult. I don't think you're going to get a great end product, but if you invest in having all those supports available, I think that high flex definitely could work. Additionally, thinking it through, how are you going to invest in that? Um, because institutions are already very hard up for money right now, as we've seen during this pandemic. So they're not going to have the dollars to invest in hiring all these additional resources to support faculty. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I hear so many parallels. It's the same in, in healthcare, right? We had early days of COVID. We had a couple of programs just like fly ahead. Like they were waiting at the wall for privacy and security barriers to come down and they just jumped right over as soon as it lowered a foot. Right. And, um, you know, for example, our cardiac rehabilitation classes, that group, um, actually at my local hospital, Peace Arch Hospital, they took it upon themselves to, you know, demand new equipment because they said, I need to see my patient, but I need to see them really big. Right. Like I need mm. to see if they're pale diaphoretic. I need to see if, if they're not looking well when they're exercising because they're cardiac patients. So they trialed and have now like a 77 inch roving monitor that actually is a smart board. Like you can draw on it too. It acts as a whiteboard and they pushed and, and ran ahead, um, you know, beyond their job descriptions, beyond what anyone would ever ask of them and they're making it work. But you know, you'll find these pockets of people who want to innovate and do things differently and they find the supports within themselves, right? Like they'll get a buddy system going, um, you know, like a co-facilitator. And then once they get those skills built into the facilitator, they're ready to go and they can branch off from each other and say, oh, you don't need me anymore. You're good. Um, but yeah, a lot of parallels. And I think Brandon, you spoke to something about um, earlier about making sure that your students were, you know, feeling safe and had all their questions answered in that first session, right? Like you're not recording. Um, and for us, that's, that's really important when I teach our healthcare providers, because we're healthcare providers. Like our job is to know the answers, you know, you know, assess, diagnose, treat, and don't get it wrong. So there's a lot of unwillingness to be judged and, and be wrong when you voice things. So for me and in, in all of my learning sessions, I have to be very concise about 
setting clear expectations and setting a safe, a psychologically safe learning environment and saying, you know, this is the space here to play with the ideas, to make mistakes. You know, if you want to co-facilitate with each other, test it out and then, or, you know, use your Fraser Hall Zoom account to have a meeting with your family across Canada and, you know, show them a movie, do what exactly what you would do with your patients so that you can fail in that safe space um, and then come back and, and work on it with patients. So, yeah, I hear a lot of similar themes for sure. And what's emerged for me just naturally is my clinicians really have wanted me as live support. Here's some resources. Let's go read, go do an e-learning module. Call me back and I'll do like a focused staff session for you live again. We can ask, you know, get into Zoom, play in Zoom, ask questions. And then then there's some more resources and reading. It's like this synchronous, asynchronous, um, bichronous model that's really naturally emerged um, just out of what I thought they needed and, and what they're responding well to. It's interesting. Yeah. I was going to say, Christy, because um, our doctor has three levels of interaction with us. So one is by phone, uh, just do a phone thing. The, the other one is through video. So she'll actually zoom with us. And then the third one is in person. So you got to make mm-hmm. a, you got to make an appointment and come back in. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting on different levels with our kids and even my wife and I, how those have integrated into our life. And now it's just normal, right? Yeah. It's like no longer do we have to pack somebody up and go into Coquitlam <laughs> where our doctor is right. Yeah. We can, we can set up an appointment and, and, and it's like being in the office where, you know, the appointments at 1030, she'll call it 1040, 1045. Right. And we appreciate that about her because she's the same with us. She takes her time. She's methodical. It doesn't matter if it's phone or in, in face to face. She always goes through the same, the same deal. And she's great. We love her. Um, and she's, she's actually new cause she, she took over from our previous doctor who retired. Um, and yeah, it's almost like, it's almost like it's the same person, but they're different. And so it's been really nice that way, but it's been, been a three tiered approach. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think of our educational processes and going, you know, even before there, there was, co- there was a three or four, even four tiered approach where it was just different levels of interaction with students in the class. Right. And, and have you, have you, have you seen this situation become like, I've always described it like a magnifying glass for us, that it's, it's really magnified issues and in, in situations. Yeah, I, I think so. We do, we do find that the default became telephone. Um, right. And when we're doing our data capture on virtual care in our health authority, telephone is included. So, you know, if we're 90% telephone and 2% video, that's still counted as uh, a high number success. Um, but, you know, for me, I think it will emerge like that example I gave earlier about renal, you know, not seeing your patient, not having eyes on them for an extended period of time and then not seeing them in person for the entire journey, that's an issue. So I think that there's still, our clinicians are largely still in that messy space of who do I see, how, and when, and what's my inclusion exclusion criteria. And it's different for every type of care provision, right? Like it's different if for each profession, like if you're working in rehab, physiotherapy, occupational therapy, that's so hands-on. They really were struggling and still are struggling with virtual care in the health authority space because um, their patients are fairly acute. They're so used to hands-on. They needed specialty equipment. Um, and so, 
you know, they need cameras that, you know, not just a laptop with an integrated camera, they need cameras that they can move around and, and, and change the angle so that they can demonstrate movements. They needed, um, you know, applications that would share educational videos mm. and they could set out learning plans and, you know, message back and forth with their patients. We don't have approval for any of those yet. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really brought to the surface some issues. And I love that if there were more of us on our team, we were three before COVID and we're thinking about 14 or 15 of us now in the virtual health wow. team for Fraser, which is great. Yeah. But if there were more of us, we would be able to do, and that's on the more clinical side on the health informatics and IT side, there's probably an equal number. Um, but we would be able to do discovery and a deeper dive into really looking at their patients' experiences of the care journey. Mm-hmm. And, and this is parallel to students, I think, in the education world. Like, what are you experiencing? What do you need? And how can we redesign this? Like, let's just blow it up and redesign yeah. it because it wasn't working in person. We weren't mm-hmm. doing, doing it well then. So why don't we, while we're doing the care version 2.0, refresh everything and, and mm-hmm. look at the patient's journey, their experience. We bring in patient partners a lot now. So I have two patient partners redesigning the diabetes self-management classes with me. It's phenomenal to hear a patient who went through the in-person classes and he's saying, listen, Christy, I can't sit there for three hours. I'm not, I'm not listening to you, right? I'm off getting a coffee. I'm turning my camera off. It's like, I, you, I'll give you 90 minutes and I'm yeah. out. Right. You know, and that's from a lovely engaged patient who has done the in-person classes four times. He came right. back like four times. So that perspective is wonderful. And one of our patient partners is um, on the, she's on that uh, context where she actually does support calls for self-management for self-management BC. So she takes, she coaches patients on how to manage their diabetes on the telephone. She's like, your patients are coming and they don't know what they're doing. They don't know how, they don't have these skills. We knew that there was foundational skills that weren't actually being developed Mm. in the in-person classes, in the way they moved on to Zoom. So we had serious work to do in the learning. So that's what we focused on is like, what are your learning objectives here? And how are we getting to that in a really constructive way versus just you know, beating content into people, right? Having focused discussions with peers and reflecting on each of our contexts and problem solving on a day to, you know, a daily life basis for healthy eating habits and healthy exercise habits. That's how we've tried to rebuild that class. Sorry, that was a ramble. <laughs> oh, it's good. Interesting one. I love yeah, it. Yeah, it's interesting in that context. There's, there's, I'm, I'm always, I shouldn't be, but I'm always surprised, pleasantly surprised, uh, a little shocked at just how closely the parallels are uh, in uh, with the common denominator of being education, but of trades, uh, nursing and, and the whole vocation there. And even Brandon, just straight up web tech courses and, and web design and, and computer science courses, right? Like there's, there just seems to be this commonality of, of not only faculty, but of students. I find change management is a big issue for us, right? Like we can plan whatever we want, <laughs> but when it comes particularly right now, you know, global pandemic wave four, our healthcare providers are fried. So, you know, me coming in going, okay, look at your, let's look at your program and how it's developed, you know, delivering virtual care. Everyone's just looking at me like, oh God, is she crazy? Right. So I can go in and I can teach, but what's, the change management, right? What's the messaging? How do we reinforce if it is done? And what value am I bringing to them? Like, why? 
right? I have to come with a really strong why. And often that's the only good anchor of why I have is the patient experience from survey data that we have. Um, so, you know, what are they loving about this? You know, you need to sort of work through that, put yourself in their shoes and offer it at bare minimum to those that have to travel a, a great distance that this like new moms with three little kids in tow, do they really want to come in for a visit? No, they want to do virtual. They love virtual. So, you know, looking at that patient lens and finding, you know, the why and the value there and, and knowing long-term that this isn't going away. I had a learning session, a live zoom training session yesterday and a lovely dietitian who said, okay, so I'm finally here. It's been like 18 months and I finally come to one of your zoom training sessions. Cause I thought this was just going to go away. <laughs> <laughs> and it wouldn't have to learn this stuff, but now That's it looks right. like it's really not. Is this going away, Christy? Like, That's okay, hilarious. we need to learn this. I know. And I said, well, no, no. Yeah, yeah. It's here to stay. I'm sorry. Most uh, programs are doing a hybrid model. So it was really cute. She's like, this isn't going away, is it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it only take yeah. two, three weeks to flatten the curve and we'll be back to normal, right? So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, mercy. Yeah. Good deal. Good deal. So I, I, I have one uh, question for you both and Brandon, maybe I'll start with you. Um, how are you, how are you finding the accessibility issue for students uh, in, in what you do and, and how you teach? I find it's improved. So I'm, I'm blessed where I have a background um, from an accessibility standpoint and how to create accessible courses. So from my background in web development and through my learning, I, I've learned how to create accessible courses which is wonderful. Uh, so from my standpoint, I found it quite easy. It has made it so that a lot more students are able to access the learning material. Again, if there's a reason you can't get to class due to personal reasons, family commitments, job commitments, I found that it's really opened the doors from an accessibility standpoint there. Um, providing the material in multiple different formats, uh, taking a UDL approach with everything we uh, create has worked great. I'm trying to think, I haven't run into an issue yet with a student who's run into any problems uh, due to their location and poor internet connection. I haven't ran into any of those problems. I've read about them. And uh, it's interesting to see some of the different approaches that institutions have taken to, to resolve those problems. I spoke with, uh, with folks at an Indigenous reserve uh, here in Ontario, and they talked about how they purchased all of their students' uh, hotspots. And I was like, yeah, they, they invested in that for all their students. This was in K to 12 uh, with the person I was speaking with. And I was like, that is such a unique approach to support your students. And with going online, there's no other thing we could do. And so we, this is what we ended up doing. Um, bought them all Chromebooks as well for those that didn't have, uh, have digital devices to use. So I think as long as you, you invest in making this work, it's, it can really easily work out in the end for students. And again, from an accessibility standpoint, making it so they can access this learning material at any point is so beneficial. My role uh, is supporting the learning management system at Durham College. And to see the amount of courses now that are fully filled with each week's learning material between PowerPoints, recorded videos, really, if a student isn't able to attend a session, they're able to get all that learning material there. But don't get me wrong, it's not going to work for every single course. Um, trades is a perfect example. Um, and Christy, your field as well in the health area is another perfect example where there are going to be those in-person aspects that need to be completed. 
Um, I could learn how to insert a pipe by watching a video, but you know what, Tim, when I go to actually do it at my house, um, I'm not really good in that area. I, I can admit that. So if I tried to do that just from watching a video, chances are I'm not going to do something correctly and something really bad is going to happen where you really need that in-person approach to make sure the person is doing it correctly. That's the only part um, that I find that the accessibility doesn't, hasn't found a solution for. We've talked about using other technologies like AR and VR, but again, you're still not getting that physical touch that I think is so required within some of the, some of the programs that are offered at, in higher education. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we haven't really um, even had a chance to dive into, you know, in the Mallet program, we did a, one of our projects was surrounding virtual reality. And I loved the concept of using it for, you know, provider empathy, development and, 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 you know, hands-on learning, um, cognitive learning. Um, but you know, we haven't had a chance to dive into that for accessibility for me. I rub up on this every day. It's a barrier. So let me split it into two, if that's okay. Um, patients, um, really broad spectrum, depending on the demographic, depending on the area. So you might find that out in the Fraser Valley, like more Eastern, uh, less access to Wi-Fi, uh, less access to devices. We've had programs, come to us to try and hook up, you know, I've got 250 cell phones free purchased. I need to give them out to mental health and substance use patients. And they just can't seem to find a fit in the process. And we try to help them, you know, enable their clients by just handing those same, similar to you, Brandon, like investing in Wi-Fi hotspots, handing out cell phones to patients that just can't, um, don't have them. Um, and then giving them data plans, but really a broad spectrum with patients, digital literacy, is definitely a barrier. But when I came into this new role, I was very strong on, we need a strong public communication plan here. And I don't think I ever got it. We need to know, we need to have patients know that virtual care is good care, that, you know, it's not substandard care. And many people still think that, right? Well, that's not good enough. In-person is better. It, it's not always better. Um, it can be better, but um, I would say I haven't really got strong support from, from communications to get that, you know, to our local communities. I would love to still see that type of communication and leveraging, you know, community access points to computer training, right? Use your local library, any programs that you can to, um, to get the basic computer skills that you need. On the provider side, um, kind of similar. Um, if you've been a nurse who's paper charting for 35 years, and you don't have a really good handle on computer skills, we are rubbing up against it there too. So, um, you know, I was in a, I think I was in a training session and someone asked me what I meant by right click. And I went, okay, take it back a notch, Christine. <laughs> right. Oh, so with, <laughs> quiet in the room okay. going that game. I was like, oh, right? what? And, and that's, that's that's okay because i mean we're it's all spectrums and these are our employees so we have to start somewhere so i've actually brandon sort of knows this i've really been pushing from the virtual health team for our um informatics and our it side to work with me and we're kind of collaborating with a couple of key projects who also rub up against this um, bringing in computer charting um, for us it was called integrated plan of care in fraser health um, but she was having the same issues for the last five years with her project like dialing it back 
Never mind computer charting. Let's go back to computer fundamental skills. So I need what I need right now and I'm pushing for is a way to use a validated digital competency profiling tool. I want to be able to assess all of our employees, have them land on this is where I am right now. These are the next steps in developing, whether that be the social skills of using technology, the informational skills, um, the, those physical skills, um, you know, knowing what equipment I need, knowing how to use Microsoft Teams to reach out to a colleague for something. Um, I need to assess that and I need to tell them, OK, here's your next best move. And then here's where you sit in alignment with your colleagues. Right. Let's compare just your cohort. So we're working towards trying to find some funding and start with one pocket um, for trial um, and leveraging EI Labs, um, Dr. Roland Van Oostveen's digital competency profiling tool. Um, so fingers crossed that I can be loud enough with my cattle prod to direct the organization towards that, because that's what I feel like I'm walking around with the prod going, we can't do anything in, until we fix this issue, really, right? Like we really need to meet everyone where they're at. And, um, you know, a Zoom meeting on an iPad floating around on a stand in the middle of the hospital is not even possible for some of our providers because they just don't have the skill. So interesting you bring that up, Christy, because uh, in my role, actually to both of your areas, um, in the last week, I have had someone in healthcare and someone in trades um, bring up how they're just not comfortable with technology. And um, in my role, my job is to say, that's okay. My job is here to teach you how to use that technology. If someone was to drop down to the ground, I do not have the health background to save them. I said, you could save me if that happened to me. That's amazing. And going to your field, Tim, if a water line breaks in my house, my house is going to start flooding. I have no idea what to do aside from turn the main water off on the house. I don't know what to do after that. Um, so it's so important for us to all leverage the skills that we have and, and support each other. So Christy, in your area, are there people available to help them with technology, to teach them what they need to learn, or is that falling back on you? Right now it falls back to me. Um, we do have, I think I would say we have um, basic software uh, skills courses, um, but there was plans in place for a series of four courses to the first two in person, of course, because you have to be learning computer fundamentals, I feel like you have to be in person um, for the first two and then getting them online and doing the second two um, subsequently leading up to, you know, video visits. Um, then you could do those um, by video. Uh, but that sort of stalled out discussions and then people left the organization who were really passionate about it. And so it still sits um, in no man's land, unfortunately. So I think we can't move forward until we fix that system issue um, about basic digital literacy. Uh, for our employees, right? They have to feel comfortable. They have to feel competent before they can really engage with patients for those reasons such that they need to feel, um, you know, really confident when they're going into a technical, you know, a call assessment with a patient using Teams or using Zoom. They're not, they're not okay with not knowing how to troubleshoot from the patient side, right? Helping them work through their audio issues too. We don't have uh, pervasive tech support. So when you get into a patient call and you have no one to turn to immediately, that that hurts the ego um, and it's really hard to take. So they need to walk through and it, lean, it leans into one of my other projects where I um, built a toolkit of resources to help them simulate video visits. So using simulation in healthcare best practices, um, using the lens of psychological safety and, and cultural safety, 
I built them um, basically a walkthrough. This is how you would take your staff as an educator, like a clinical educator. This is how you take your staff and you would simulate video visits with patients. So go into a breakout room. One of you is the patient, one of you is the clinician, and one of you is just observing. And then I gave, you know, we would give them scripts and how to debrief, how it went in a mock-up video. So I felt like that was really foundational. So there you go. It's a piece of training. So we'll see how um, the implementation goes of that. Uh, hopefully next month. Christy just sparked something in my brain about one other approach from the accessibility side. I think it's so important to take during the first week of class. It's seeing what you can do to support your students. That's another huge part. So I can do everything that I think is going to work. But I also, again, I co-create the learning space with the students. So if there's certain accommodations that our students are going to need, I do what I can to put those in place when I can based on our institutional policies and procedures. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> all I can think of is, well, not all I can think of because there's a bunch of stuff going on through my head, but it's like, first thing that comes to mind is, doesn't that just frustrate you? Right. And I know we're recording. I'll say say it out loud. Sometimes it frustrates me. Like when I hear a faculty member say, um, I've never used my email in my institution. And in fact, the person said, I didn't even know I had email. And I'm like, what? What? I find find it exciting. Like it's like, okay, how am I going to solve this? Exactly. And that's why the world needs more Brandon's. That's why the world needs more brands. Cause I hear that yeah. and I go, okay, I'm not the most technically advanced person in the world, but for crying out loud, even I know how to use email, right? Maybe, maybe I need to grow in empathy, Christy. Yeah. I was, I was going to say, Brandon, Brandon feels the challenge and I just go into empathy. Okay. Let's talk about what you're going through right now. Yeah. And let's just get you through this. <laughs> yeah. Whereas I'm just like, suck it up, buttercup. You need to learn this right now, right? This is your part of your job. Let's go. Exactly. Yeah. I went from, they couldn't get on teams. So let's try a zoom call. The zoom call didn't work. We ended up having just old fashioned telephone call to figure out how to get onto zoom to then mm-hmm. how to get onto teams. Um, cause I really need the screen sharing aspect. Like zoom's going to be easier for them to get on. I'm pretty sure. So let's work on yeah. getting them on that way. Um, and again, mm-hmm. I find that stuff so fun. It's like, okay, how am I going to figure this out? How can I support oh. the faculty member? Um, and again, I always bring it back to, this is my area of expertise. Sure. So I am happy to give that. There's a lot of stuff in their area. I have no clue about. So mm-hmm. the nurses are the ones that I love talking to the most. I say, listen, if I drop to the floor and die right now, you can probably save me. I said, you have <laughs> no this skill set, And that is amazing. I said, so let yeah. me use my little bit of tech skills that I have to help you right now. No. Oh, oh, Brandon, that's so cool. <laughs> that's so cool. Oh, because I'd be just like, oh, really? Right click? Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. But you guys ever provide tech support to parents? Like, I got to deal with my my dad all the time, right? So um, true. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. He's over the years. He helped me prepare for this role, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's (laughs) awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's but yeah, you're right, Tim. It's messy. It's frustrating, and it's messy. But I think. Um, going back to it, it's Simon Sinek's work is find the why I always have to find the why, right. like, okay, let's find the value for you yeah. right? because maybe they haven't seen it. They haven't seen any demonstrated value and they think it's maybe not easy enough. So go back and find the value mm-hmm. and take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. <laughs> yeah, how often are they supported though? Like think about when you've been onboarded at all these different places you've worked, how often are you not taught how to use email at your employer? Um, there's a lot of places where they don't do proper onboarding or provide any training on how to do all this type of stuff. 
So especially when I think of part-time faculty, they are not taught this information. Yeah. A lot of it is assumed, isn't it? Yeah. 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 And then you get into your role and you're just running. So there's no time for taking extra little courses. I took an, a managing your inbox course (laughs) and he's like, well, how many emails do you have sitting there? I'm like 21,000. Is that not okay? And he's like, no, 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 that's not okay. In fact, yeah, no, my colleague of mine had 55,000. I was laughing. Oh yeah. So, I mean, you know, he's like, well, Outlook is, he was very patient. Outlook is not a, you know, storage system. So does it run well for you? I'm like, no, it crashes all the time. (laughs) I wonder why. (laughs) This is why. Yeah. He's very patient. So let's show you how to get rid of some of those. So funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's, it's the total opposite for me. I got to be honest. Cause from, um, for me, I'd come into somebody's house and do some work for them. Right. And the one thing that, and I'm not alone, but I'll, I'll share it is I, I never liked it when people bird dog, right. Where I'm doing the work and they're standing behind me and they're chatting away and they're like, Oh yeah, mm. I looked it up on YouTube and it said to do this. And I'm like, <laughs> and then yet you called me. And I'm saying this go? in my head. Right. <laughs> and it's like, you know, this would go a lot quicker if you just stopped talking to me. Right. And, um, I'm just, um, I regret <laughs> some of those situations now cause I'm older and wiser, but, uh, yeah, like it's, it's sometimes it's very frustrating, but then, yeah, like you said, Christy, you got it. We all started somewhere, right. Mm-hmm. We all started mm-hmm. somewhere. I wonder, mm-hmm. is it a motivation issue that you guys run into, um, for people embracing the change? Is it a motivational issue? Um, I find it's often you don't know what you don't know. Like Mm -hmm. it's not that they weren't motivated to do it. It's just, I didn't, I didn't know how to do this. There's Mm -hmm. one faculty member I've been supporting lately and just the hours they've put into trying to learn this new technology. I was mentioning to a colleague earlier, I would love to nominate them for awards. There's no award that we have at Durham where it aligns with that criteria, but seeing the amount of hours uh, they have put into mastering this technology to ensure that they're going to give the students the best learning experience possible come this fall. Like it, it hits me right in the heart. I'm like, you, you're doing so amazing for your students. And I think it's just often you don't know what you don't know. If you've never used this platform before, you can't expect them to know what to do. So our job is to, to teach them what they need to know to be good at their job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think for me, um, I watched a webinar from the neuro leadership Institute a while ago, and it was all about the ages model right? How to create good conditions for learning. I don't know if you've heard this model before. And one of the key things was um, using story or data to create strong emotion about something, right? And, and the ages is a focused attention, uh, generating connections, creating strong emotion, and then spacing. Um, and so for me, it's like, okay, so let's, can I find a story like a care story, care-related, patient-related story, where it worked really well and, and someone was just overwhelmed with how cool this was. And, oh, this is such a great new skill because, you know, this is the future. You're, if you're working in healthcare, digital health is not going away. You're going to have to eventually, your charting is going to be on the computer. You're going to be using, um, you know, different peripherals that are connected to the computer. So wave devices in front of and over top of and barcodes and things like that. Um, you know, virtual will become integrated and just part of healthcare. I won't have a job at that point, which I'm okay with. Eventually I won't need my job <laughs> and it is just the way of the future. So, you know, finding an emotion or a story to connect to that particular person is 
um, part of where I start. I don't know that it's not motivation. I think it's just, just like everyone else, you get, you know, entrenched in your day-to-day work, which is in healthcare already was overwhelming um, and busy enough. And no one's, you know, forcing you to stop and here now you can't get through this process without getting over this hurdle. It's sort of, you could work around it, dance around it. And now you really can't in most cases. So, yeah. We could actually relate this back to what this topic was really about the beginning railroads. When we started being railroad students, think of all those initial supports they've given us. So we're in a master's program. We probably should need to know how to write an academic paper. They still provide those supports to show us how to do that. Um, which is amazing. The first course in the Mallet program, I think in all railroad studies is you, uh, you take the link and it starts to teach you about academics at Royal roads, um, how to use the learning management system, all those different aspects. Right. And Mm -hmm. again, you're in a master's program. Maybe you should already know this, but they don't make it seem like, Oh, no, you have to know this for those that do great for those that don't, you're learning it at this point. So I think it's really important to provide those supports throughout. So I just did a training video. I recorded one this morning about how to integrate Zoom in our learning management system through custom widgets. Um, I talk through control C to copy and control V to paste. You say that out loud just to help those people who may not know how to do it. Mm, yeah, that's a great point. I love that. Creating the foundation, scaffolding. And yeah, exactly. that's, what we, that's what we need to design that. <laughs> All right. Well, our time is up. Thank you so much for for this conversation and bringing it back full circle, Brandon. That's what I love about you, brother. You, you, you tend to bring us back to the starting point and uh, that's it's good. A Carson and thing. It's a Carson thing. Yeah. You got a great <laughs> last name, my friend, you've got a great last name and uh, yeah, it's good. So um, if there was, if there was a, a podcast that you're listening to right now that people could tune into um, and listen to, or, uh, a TV show that you've just, you've binged on because it's been a good escape for you. What, what would that be? For me, um, TV show right now, we're watching Ted Lasso. Oh. Do you know this one on Apple? Plus? Oh my God. So it's so funny and it's, it's upbeat and it's, it's funny. Yeah. yeah it's hilarious. And podcasts always lean into Brene Brown. Every time you go you learn uh, something yeah. new, Brene is just phenomenal, whether it's, you know, taking those concepts of shame and vulnerability into leadership or into education, facilitating. Yeah. So relevant. Do you have a favorite book from Brené? I love Dare to Lead. I love them all, but Dare to Lead is, is great. Um, it really helped me through my transition into the corporate world and understanding some of our executive leadership that um, maybe didn't, you know, those situations didn't jive so well. And how can I, work with those individuals to set clear expectations and yeah yeah that was um my favorite of hers so far i think good deal good deal brandon podcast tv show let me go the podcast route here um getting air with terry green i always oh, enjoyed yeah. that yeah teach me in higher ed with bonnie stoholiak uh, also amazing and uh number one though practice practice pedagogy of course <laughs> yeah those are, there's my three go-to. I'm going to stick to my education, uh, <laughs> education side of things. I'm also love the true crime though. I'm, I do a lot of that on, uh, on Oh, how is that to listen to? Is, is it, is it like listening to an audio book, that kind of stuff? It is. And it, it surprised me because a lot of the times they've, uh, they've taken TV shows and converted 
the recordings from the TV show to work for a podcast. And I'd say 90% of the time it works pretty well, but there's certain points where like they're talking about something you can clearly see and you're like, ah, I'm not fully getting the picture here. But again, for the most part, um, it's really well. That's when they've converted TV shows back into podcasts. The ones that are built as podcasts originally. Yeah, they're, they're great. Do you have a true crime really, podcast that you're listening to? Um, Canadian true crime is uh, about to come back. They took a little break, but I find those always interesting just because it's fully Canadian focused and uh, just a lot of history I didn't know before. So it's, it's interesting to hear. Very cool. Very cool. Good deal. Well, Christy, Brandon, thanks again for taking the time. Love it that we've had this time together in the conversation and uh, thank you for all you do and uh, keep, uh, keep forging forward and uh, all the best to you in this, in this next term that's coming up. Thanks. Tim. Thank you so much, Tim. And I think we should do a feature episode of past mallet and then get a couple of the future ones who are starting next year. That would be pretty fun. Yeah. That good. We, we can, we can even have a glass of Merlot to go with the Malat conversation. <laughs> <a> lot. <laughs> Love it. Good deal. Good deal. All right. Hey everyone. Thanks again for taking the time to listen to the episode. Lots of fun with this one. Don't forget to tune in next week. We have somebody from Austria who happens to teach in the K-12 system. She is awesome. It was a great episode to sit down and talk with her. I won't give away the name, although you may recognize her handle on Twitter, The Edified Listener. Thanks very much. Leave a comment, question, concern, complaint even. PraxisPedagogy.com. Take care, everybody. Have a great week. Hey.